From Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Last week we began a two-part message. I called it a series, What is God's Will for My Life? So today we got... Part one of the message last Sunday morning, today we're going to get part two of last Sunday morning's message that's called God's Will in My Life. Now, as I said last Sunday, according to many different surveys, this is the number one requested topic when you ask people, what would you like to hear a sermon on? And I said, I'd like to hear a message on how to know God's will for my life. I want to know God's will for my life. And I mentioned this last Sunday, but we just read in our text, and this is one of the reasons we're reading from the ninth chapter of Acts today, and this message comes from that chapter, is that Saul asked the two greatest questions that any human being can ask in their lives, and that is, Who art thou, Lord? And, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, in this ninth chapter of Acts, and especially in some of the verses that we read, and some I'm going to point out, we see that God had a will for the life of this man Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you will look at verses 11 through 16 of this ninth chapter, the Lord said unto him in verse 11, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. Now he's speaking to a man named Ananias. The Lord said, Go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And it's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Remember, Paul, Saul lost his sight when that light appeared, when the Lord appeared before him. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, listen to this, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. God had a will for the life of this man Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. God's will was for him to be a witness, a testimony of the saving power of the Lord Jesus to the Gentiles. We're going to see that in just a moment. But it was also in God's will that as he began to testify and to witness of Jesus, God knew this would happen. He said, he's going to suffer many things for my cause and for my sake. But if you look at these verses, here's what you see about God's will for Paul. He had a place for him to go, Damascus. He had a person for him to meet, this man Ananias. And he had a plan for his life to go and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ 
in many, many different places. And of course we know that God used the Apostle Paul in a great way. He used him to write almost half of the New Testament. He used him to go out and establish many, many New Testament churches. So God had a great plan for the life of Saul, or the life of Paul, however you want to refer to him. But then over in the 23rd chapter of this book of Acts, we see that God had another plan for him. You know, he had been arrested. and He was facing many different things. But in verse 11, here's what God said to him. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. How would you like to be in a, a life-and-death situation and not know if you're going to get to face tomorrow? And then the Lord speak to your heart through His Word, by His Spirit, and say, don't worry about it. You've got somewhere else to go, and you've got something else to do. I'll never forget when our dad had his accident. Brother I.K. Cross was visiting him in the hospital. And Brother Cross looked at him and said this. It had been a terrible accident, but he had survived. And Brother Cross said, God's got something for you to do. Find it. When God spares our lives or just when God gives us tomorrow, gives us today, folks, He's got something for us to do today. And the advice would be, find what God has for us to do. You and I can know the will of God. He has a will for your life. He has a will for my life. Now, you recall last week, and we're going to review very quickly, but we talked about the fact that God is sovereign. And that just simply means that God can do what He wants to do. He created it all. He created you. He created me. He gave us life. And God can do with us what He wants to do with us. We don't have any right to question the way that God deals with us. Remember from Romans chapter 9 verse 20, Paul asked this question. He said, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? What just accept that God's will is this for my life. You know, I could ask many times, well, Lord, why did you call me to preach? Because I've never figured it out, <laughs> okay? But he did, and I've never questioned that. And so, again, it's just accepting God's will. Now, I said we may ask why to try to understand what God wants us to learn from these things, but we should never accuse Him falsely or question His dealing with us. God lives in sinless perfection, and whatever He does is right. That's what it means to be sovereign. Next, we talked about God's perfect and sovereign will. And we mentioned a few things. God wants all of the whosoevers to be saved. God has said everybody who is saved will be his child, and God said all of his children will be his heirs. I think that's a pretty good sovereign will. And there's some things about the sovereign will we don't know, and some things about the sovereign will we don't understand. I'll say a moment, something about that in a moment. But God's ultimate will is that the kingdoms of this world should be the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And as I said last week, all things you can just see, watch the news, listen to the news, look at what's going on in the world, and you can see all things moving in that direction. Folks, Jesus is coming back. Then there's going to ensue tribulation upon the earth. But then Jesus is going to come after he comes for his saints. He's going to come with his saints. And the kingdom of, kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ. Let me say something about the sovereign will of God, however. Things that are going on in the world today may not make a lot of sense to us. We may not be able to figure them out. But I tell you what. God has a purpose for them. 
God has a purpose for them and He's allowing them. And though we may not be able to see His purpose, understand His purpose, we know that He has a purpose. And so sometimes His sovereign will is just a great mystery. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 34. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? See, God's thoughts are far above our thoughts. God's ways are far above our ways, and so we don't always understand. Here's a wonderful verse we need to remember when it comes to understanding the will of God. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Listen to what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. The secret, you know what the secret things he's talking about here? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What he's saying is, you and I are not accountable for the things that God hasn't revealed to us. Those parts of his will that he hasn't revealed to us, we're not accountable for them. But the things that he has revealed, we are accountable to God for the things that he has shown us, for the things that he has revealed to us, but not just us. We and our children are accountable to God for how we handle what God has revealed to us. And then we talked about the permissive will of God. And of course we said that comes out of His sovereign will, out of His foreknowledge. He gave mankind the option and the opportunity to choose. We call it the free moral agency of man. An individual can choose to accept Jesus or to reject Him as Savior. A child of God can choose to serve Him or not serve Him. God gives us that opportunity of choice, but we do have to remember that all of our choices have consequences. So, what is God's will for my life? What is God's personal will for my personal life? How do I determine it? But before we get to that, I want to just share with you some mistakes people make in trying to determine the will of God. Number one, God's will, they'll say that God's will is, well, it's just like a road map. No, it's not. You know, we get ready to go on a trip, what do we do? Now, used to, we'd get the map out of the glove compartment of the car and we'd unfold it. Now, we just go on our phones or on our tablets or on our computers and we pull up a map. But here's what we do. We look at a map and we say, this is where we're going to start. This is where we're going to end. And here's how we're going to go all through that. And some people say, well, that's the way the will of God is. No, it's not. God does not tell us the future. God doesn't show us everything that's going to happen in the future. You know, I heard this illustration one time. If a young woman who's about to get married could see into the future and see all of the dirty dishes she's going to have to wash and all the diapers she's going to have to change, she'd never get married. If I had known some of the things I was going to experience as a pastor when God was calling me to preach, folks, I might have said, Lord, I don't think I want to do this. The children of Israel... When they were leaving Egypt and they were going to the promised land, they didn't have a road map. God told Moses how to lead them. See, they could have gone just over to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, gone up north and been in the promised land in just a few days, but God didn't lead them that way. They got ready to go back. They said, let's go back to the sea and go back down. We'll get back to Egypt. But God didn't lead them that way, and they didn't have that understanding that they could do that. God did not give them a map. You know what God gave them? God gave them Himself. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day, and He gave them a pillar of fire by night, and He said, you follow this, and I will lead you to where you need to go, to where I want you to go. So you know what? To follow God today, to follow God's will for our lives today, we don't need to know the future. We just need to know Jesus Christ as Savior. 
We can learn the will of God. We can understand the will of God. Number two, something that God's will is something that you really wouldn't want to do. Oh, God has a will for my life, and, and it's going to be terrible to have to do what God wants me to do. It may be, God may call me to preach, a young man might say. Some young woman might say, God might decide to make me a preacher's wife, you know. And by the way, I appreciate the preacher's wife. Every preacher's wife, every pastor's wife I appreciate. But some young woman might say, oh, I might have to, God might have this will for me to live this life that is this way or this way. And a lot of people have the idea that God's will might be something I just don't want to do. Listen, if you are truly God's, you will want to do His will. There will be a desire. I've said I believe every person, every saved person has somewhere deep inside of them a desire to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We may never act on it. We may never lead one person to Christ. But I believe every child of God has that desire put in them by God. Remember, God is a loving Heavenly Father. God loves you. Listen to Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God wants you to do his will. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Don't be afraid of the will of God. The will of God is not something we have to do. The will of God is something we get to do as a child of God. I tell you what, I've had some experiences and I've shared some of them with you. In my years of pastoring, but I wouldn't trade this work. I'm not going to call it a job. I'm not going to, I wouldn't trade this work for any other kind of work. Here's one people believe. God's will is only for certain people. God only has a will for certain people. You know, He has a will for the pastor. God has a will for the missionary. He might have a will for maybe the, the deacon or the music director or the Sunday school teacher, those folks. But he really doesn't have one for me. That's the way some people look at it, that God only has a will for certain people. But God has a will for everybody. Do you realize that you, I don't care whether you teach a class, you work in the nursery, or maybe you, and I hate to say it this way, but maybe you just come and, and, you know, you're a member and you come into the services and you encourage us and pray for us and all your brothers and sisters in Christ in the services. But maybe you don't hold a position in the church, but you're still important to God. Amen. God loves you. You know what the Word of God says? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how important you are to God. And so, don't ever think, God doesn't have a will for me. God doesn't have a will for my life. Yes, He does. And He will make it clear. We're going to see how He does that in a moment. Here's another one. God reveals His will in some cataclysmic experience. There's going to be something dramatic. There's going to be something fantastic happening. And then, boom, a light will come on and I'll understand God's will. Now, it doesn't always work that way, does it? We studied Elijah. Remember 1 Kings from chapter 19, verse 11. God said to Elijah, go stand on the mountaintop. Elijah went and stood on the mountaintop, and the Lord passed by, the Scripture says. And when God passed by, there was a great wind, and it was so great, it says it broke the rocks into pieces. That was a big wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then it says after the wind, there was an earthquake. Boy, surely I'd know God's will after an earthquake, right? But God wasn't in the earthquake. Well, after the earthquake, there was a fire. All of these fantastic things happening. After the earthquake, a fire. 
But God wasn't in the fire. And then it says, after the fire, there was a still, small voice. And God spoke to Elijah. See, we look for the fantastic things, and we want to see the fantastic things. Don't think that every time God reveals His will to you, it's going to be by some gigantic, radical event that's going to just shock your world and rock your world and all of that. God may just speak to you through the preaching of His Word, and He does that, by the way. Some people believe that God's will is only for the young people. You know, they've got a lot of years ahead of them. They've got opportunity to serve God. So God only has a will for the young people. No, God has a will regardless of your age. And regardless of your age, seek the will of God for your life. Somebody may say this, but you know, and I've known people like this. I missed out on serving God in my youth. I didn't live for God. I didn't serve God in my youth and in the best years of my life I wasn't serving him well guess what you can still get in on his will that's a wonderful thing about God he is he gives second third and fourth chances listen to Joel 225 and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm you say what does that have to do with the will of God just this see the locust of life may eat up your youth I pray that it never does. To our young people, I pray you never let the locust of life eat up your youth as far as the service of God is concerned. But that may have happened. The best of your years of your life, as you refer to them, are gone. But you can still say, Lord, I want to know your will for the rest of my life. In fact, I thought of this, and somebody probably said it before I thought of it, but make the rest of your life the best of your life as a child of God. And then somebody might think, well, God hides his will from us. It's some deep, dark mystery that I've got to figure out. Listen, and I had a preacher, I was, when God was dealing with me about the call to preach, I went to my pastor, and then I went to several preachers, and I talked to them. I'm trying to decide whether God's truly calling me. And one of them said this to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, God doesn't play games. God's not going to make you think He's leading you to do something and then pull the rug out and say, ah, I wasn't. No, God's serious. And God's serious about His service. And so God's not playing hide and seek with His will for your life or His will for my life. God will make His will for our lives known. Now listen, when it comes to knowing God's will, number one, guidance is promised. Listen to Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. You know what? God reveals His will to people who want to know His will. I'll say it again. God reveals His will to people who want to know His will for their lives. And God can have a very specific will. I believe with all of my heart, and I got in trouble with this last week and Sunday evening, and I'm going to get myself in trouble again today, but I believe with all of my heart God intended for me to marry Joni. I believe He brought us together. And see, she didn't marry a preacher. She married, I'll say again, a rock music disc jockey. And there's a world of difference between the two. Okay? But God knew what He was going to call me to do. And God knew that I needed a wife that would support me in that. 
and I'll just say this as nicely as I can, probably some of the girls I had dated wouldn't have supported me in being a pastor, okay? So God knew the kind of person I needed for a wife, and I believe He brought us together. God will reveal His will to those people who want to know His will. But listen, guidance is provisional. There must be a willingness. And let me ask you this. Do you truly want to know the will of God for your life? Because when you know that, and boy, I didn't get much of an answer when I asked that question, either did I. Because here's what happens. When you know the will of God for your life, responsibility to do it comes with it. So do you want to know God's will for your life? And here's another question. I got a lot of questions this morning. Here's the other part of that question. Once you know God's will for your life, are you willing to do God's will for your life? There's a world of difference between knowing God's will and doing God's will. So if God's going to reveal His will to you, are you willing to do what God wants you to do? See, sometimes people say they want to know God's will. Their minds are already made up what they're going to do. But it sounds good to say, preacher, I'd like to know God's will for my life. There must be a willingness. There must be also a meekness. Psalm 25, 9, the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. You know what? There are some folks, saved folks, who are just not teachable. There are some people you just can't teach. There may be someone right now arguing with this message and saying, oh, no, 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 that's not me. That's, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't do that. But there must be meekness. We must be able to be guided by God if we're willing to know God's will. We want to know God's will and do it in our lives. There must be an openness. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit's that still, small voice, folks. Somebody said, will God speak to me audibly? Not in this day and age. It's going to be a whole lot louder than that. I tell you what, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your mind and to your life, you know it. But listen, the Holy Spirit never shouts. The Holy Spirit never shoves. He's not going to force you to do God's will. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit leads You say, well, Brother Jim, how will I hear when the Holy Spirit speaks to me? How will I hear His voice? See, you have to listen. We live in a day when people are so busy talking, even talking to God, that they don't listen to God. If you want to know the Spirit's will for your life, you have to listen. That's one reason it's so important on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night to listen to the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. How do we learn the will of God? We learn it from the Word of God. Where do we learn the Word of God? As we get into it, as we study it, as the Word of God is presented in a lesson or in a sermon, a message. I try not to preach sermons anymore. I try to preach messages, folks. You know, if you recall, back when we studied in Elijah and had those messages from 1 Kings about Elijah, I just prayed and asked God to give me the spirit of Elijah, and that's what I want. I want to be able to preach and say, Thus saith the Lord, not thus saith Brother Jim. And if it cuts to the heart, it cuts to the heart not because Brother Jim said it, but because God said it. That's my desire. That's what I try to do. But see, it's why we need to listen. But it's also why we need a quiet time. It's why we need to have that time where we just get along with a time of prayer and a time of Bible study And get away from all of the noise. Get away from the wind. Get away from the earthquake. And all of the noise and 
that the world's making and just get along with God and His Word. Now, let me ask you this. When you get along with God, do you take time to listen to Him? Or do you go to Him with a shopping list? Lord, I want this, and Lord, I want this, and Lord, I need this, and Lord, give me this. Here's what we need to say. Remember Samuel? Remember what Samuel was told? We need to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. The Holy Spirit will direct us according to the will of God. There must be a yieldedness. Another question. If God were to offer you a contract today, and offering you this contract, God would say, Will you sign the contract? Submitting yourself to my will, would you sign that contract? Boy, it's quiet. Would you sign that contract without reading that contract? When Joni asked me to do something, you know what I say? Yeah, what is it? What do you want me to do? And why do you say it that way? I don't say, well, tell me what you want me to do first, and then I'll tell you whether I'm going to do it or not. And here's why. Because I know she loves me. And she is not going to ask me to do something that is harmful to me. She's not going to ask me to do something that violates the will and the word of God. And so I can just say, yeah, what do you want me to do? And just do it. Well, listen. You can trust Jesus Christ. You can trust God. Jesus is the one who went to the cross. And died in agony that you and I might be saved. He is not going to give us something to do, first of all, that we can't do. Because if he did that, then we'd have an excuse for not doing it. He's going to enable us to do whatever he wants us to do. And he's not going to ask us to do something that would harm us or something that would violate the will and the word of God. So you can trust Jesus. There must be a yieldedness. Now, I want to give you quickly some of the ways that you might know the will of God in and for your life. First of all, never pray for guidance about something God has forbidden or something God has commanded you to do. If God's Word says you need to do it, don't say, well, Lord, should I? No, just do what God said to do, all right? But how can I know the will of God for my life? First of all, you need to know the Word of God. That ought to be number one. That must be number one. God's will is revealed right here in His Word. And there are many things in the Word of God that we can study, that we can examine, and that we can know this is God's will for my life. Let me give you an example. The Word of God says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. A young girl comes to me and says, uh, or a young man, I want to get married, but the person I want to get married to doesn't know Christ as Savior. They ask my advice, I say, you don't need to marry them. So many young people today think this, well, we'll get married and then I'll lead them to the Lord. I'll lead her to the Lord. Probably not. The great probability is that the unsaved mate will lead that saved mate away from the Lord and off into worldliness. So the Word of God would tell you, when you get ready to get married, and we've got young ladies here, and so I'll address them. You get ready to get married, the Word of God says you need to find you a good, saved Christian boy for a mate. Somebody that will serve God with you and, and lead the family in serving God. Here's how God leads. 
Psalm 119, verse 105. We're familiar with this verse. If you ever went to Bible school, you learned this verse. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word will direct our path. You have to get into the Word of God to study God's Word, to learn God's Word, to be able to do God's will. Here's number two, the providence of God. We talk about open doors and shut doors. Sometimes God opens doors, sometimes God shuts doors. Now listen, don't assume a door is closed just because you meet with some resistance. Satan is going to make sure, if you're trying to do the will of God, Satan's going to make sure there's some resistance to open doors. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, the Apostle Paul said, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. God had opened up a door. God had opened up a work for Paul. But he also understood that there were people opposed to what he was going to do. God may open a door. There may be opposition. There may be resistance, but I'll guarantee you this. If God has opened that door, whether it's for school, whether it's a job, whether it's in your, for those who are not married, in your life to find someone to marry, if God has opened a door, nobody can close that door. Amen. Remember what he said to the church at Philadelphia in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 8. He has said, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. God will open doors. But I tell you what, the opposite is true too. When God closes a door, don't try to push your way through it. If God closes a door, you say, this is not God's will. I don't need to do it. Don't say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. God has closed that door. Don't try to push through a door that God has closed. Someone said this, talking about opposition, talking about resistance. The door to the room of opportunity often swings on the hinges of opposition. Serve God. Look for Him to open doors in your life. In my own life, I have seen God open doors. And I've seen God close doors. Amen. Then there's the Spirit of God. Again, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We must learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, but we must also learn to try the spirits. The Word of God says in John chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to... Test the spirits, that we are to try the spirits. And why does the Word of God tell us that we are to try or to test the spirits? Listen to what it says. Try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And so, there are spirits. See, I believe in demon spirits. I believe the Bible teaches clearly about demon spirits that would try to lead you away from the will of God. Amen. Listen to the Holy Spirit, but test that spirit. How do I test a spirit? How do I make sure a spirit is the, the Holy Spirit or it's a demon spirit? Know this, the Holy Spirit will never lead you in a way that is contrary to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you away from God. We may not always understand why God's leading us in a certain way. We might not always understand what's going to happen to us when we follow the Spirit. But if we know that God is leading, we need to follow Him. I'll give you another example, another personal example. And some of you are familiar with this. I've shared it with you before. It's my coming to this church as your pastor. When I was first contacted about coming in view of a call, it was my intention to say no. 
just not interested, no thank you. And what I determined to say was, now here's how we go ahead and we plan things, even though we say we're going to consider God's will. Because I said, let me pray about it for a couple of days. So I'm telling on myself. And then I'll call you back and give you an answer. Now I've already determined to say no. But I'm going to pray about it. Two days turned into two weeks. I didn't call back in two days. I called back in two weeks. But here's what happened. In that two weeks, God got a hold of my heart. And he said something like this. At least you can go and meet with this church and meet the people. And then you can make a decision about whether I want you there as pastor or not. And you know the rest of the story. That first Sunday that I came and preached in view of a call, after the morning service, I got ready to go eat lunch. And I thought, this is where God wants me. And I prayed. Now, Lord, if they call me, I'm going. And if you don't want me there, don't let them call me. Okay? And you voted, much to your chagrin, to call. And I have never officially accepted as pastor, remember? Brother Ken just walked up to me and said, this key goes to this, and this key goes to this, and this key goes to this. And I took the keys, and I've been here ever since, and it's hard to get rid of me, isn't it? Thank you, Deacon. (laughs) But you see how God moves. How the Spirit of God, if we just listen to Him, can even change. I was dead set on saying no. And yet the Holy Spirit took over and said, nope, you need to go. Then, another way of knowing God's will. Now we've got the Word of God, we've got the providence of God, we've got the Spirit of God. Here's number four, the people of God. The people of God. Proverbs 24, verse 6, And in the multitude of counselors there is safety. See, sometimes we can't make up our minds by ourselves. Sometimes we just need good, truly Christian people, friends around us, who can give us sound biblical advice. What do I need to do in this situation? Remember Rehoboam, Solomon's son? He took over as king, and he was trying to decide whether to tax the people heavily or or give them a break, and he went to the wrong group. And he split a nation after listening to the wrong counselors. Listen, through my ministry, I have sought the counsel of older, wiser, more experienced pastors and preachers. Today I find that I'm one of them. But you know what? If a man's been in the ministry longer than me, and if a man's been pastoring longer than me, I will go to him, whether he's younger than me or older than me, because he's got more experience. And I will listen to, I may not always do what he says, Our dad, I would always ask his opinion about things. I didn't always follow his opinion, didn't always agree with it, but I would ask it because I wanted to hear. We need good Christian people who will give some input into our lives. Now listen, when looking for counsel from friends, make certain, number one, that they are mature. Rehoboam went to those that were his age and didn't listen to what the older men said. Number two, make sure that they are spiritually minded people. That they're in tune with God, with the Spirit of God. And number three, make sure that you remember that the Holy Spirit is the supreme counselor. You need to follow Him. God will give us friends. 
None of us is so wise and none of us is so self-sufficient that we do not need godly friends, that we do not need godly counselors who will pray with us and pray for us to know the will of God in our lives. And I have a special word for teenagers. You better be sure to take your parents into consideration. Listen, God has given godly parents a certain wisdom that they can size up a situation in 10 seconds that it'll take you 24 hours to begin to size up. You bring in that old boy and say, I want to marry him. And mom and dad say, uh, don't you be careful. But listen, your parents, whether you're watching by live stream or you're here, your parents can guide you a whole lot better than you if you have godly parents and you can guide yourself. We're going to close. I hope you have an idea of how to determine the will of God for your life, but I'm going to give you six character qualities that you need. I'm going to do it quickly. Six character qualities that you need if you're to have the wisdom of God. Number one is reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Scripture says. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Number two, you need humility. Proverbs 11, verse 2. With the lowly is wisdom. With the lowly is wisdom. Number three, you need teachableness. Proverbs 9, 9. Listen to this. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Be teachable as a child of God. Number four, you need diligence. Proverbs eight seventeen. Wisdom is speaking here, by the way. And wisdom says this. I love them that find me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Number five, uprightness. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. You need to have an upright life as a child of God to seek the wisdom of God and to live in the wisdom of God. And then faith. Faith. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But listen to this. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Reverence, humility, teachableness, diligence, uprightness, faith. If we're to walk and to have the wisdom of God. A lot of people today say they want to know God's will for their lives. I said surveys. You ask people, what do you want to hear? And they say, oh, a message on knowing God's will. A lot of people say they want to know God's will for them. But you know what? There's very few that do God's will in their lives. The great thing is this. We can know God's will, both in a broad sense, in His directive will, but also in a very personal sense, in His personal will for our lives. And we need to seek that will. But, when you know God's will, and here's my final question for you. When you know God's will, and you know it's God's will beyond the shadow of a doubt. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, God's providence, and praying with Christian friends has all made it certain this is God's will. Are you going to do it? Are you going to be faithful to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears, and I want to do your will for my life.